Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so by visiting us online at BethesdaChurch.tv. Now, let's jump into the message. Thank you so much for your giving. Are you glad to be in the house of God today? Amen. I'm so glad to be in the house of God worshiping with each and every one of you. If you've been here over the last few weeks, and maybe you haven't, but we've been in a series called Monarchy. This is actually the fourth message of the series. So far in the series, we've talked about um, the fact that we as kingdom people have the ability to uh, establish a new order. We know that Adam ruled the earth as God ruled heaven, and he ruled it with his words. So we talked about that in week number one. In week number two, we talked about the fact that Jesus not only was raised to glory, but he is the captain of our salvation, and he is made perfect through raising sons and daughters to glory. And then last week, we looked at the concept of royalty, that you and I in the kingdom, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, which means that we are a part of a royal family. Everything that belongs to God now belongs to you and I. And if you watched First Wednesday, I gave you five principles of the kingdom, of the monarchy that we've been talking about. And so what I've been doing is I've been painting this big picture idea of the kingdom of God and what that looks like. Um, but I, here, here's the real truth. I, I think a lot of us, when we hear the message of the kingdom, we like what we're hearing we may even say things like, I would love that kind of power. I would love to be able to bring heaven into the earth. I just don't know how to do it. Like, I love that we're royal, royalty in God's eyes, that we can establish a, a new order, that we can be raised to a new level in Christ. I love the concepts, Pastor, but I'm not sure how to walk that out properly. Um, I think it's important because when you, when you talk about the kingdom, there, it is a big picture idea, and it was the message that Jesus preached, but a lot of people are still in the dark as how to walk that out on a practical level um, because there are kingdom concepts or kingdom principles that make the kingdom accessible to you. Um, and for instance, that there's the, the kingdom concept of, of servanthood, which we hit in week number two. If you want to go up, you got to be willing to drop. Uh, there is the kingdom concept of honor, that honor is the currency of the kingdom, and that when you operate in dishonor, then the kingdom um, never comes into your life. You will never see God on the level you desire with a spirit or heart of dishonor. A lot of people, it's not, even, it's not honor or servanthood. They struggle with order. But what you got to know in the kingdom is just like in your house, there is an order to the way things are done. Hopefully your kids are not running the joint, but there's an order to how things are established in your house. How many know there's an order to the way things are established in God's house? And so a lot of people, because they buck against order or honor or servanthood, they never get to see the kingdom fulfilled in their life. And so I want to show you how it works proper or how it works practically. And one of the areas that we need to understand how it works is as it relates to spiritual warfare. So I want to talk to you today about the nature of spiritual 
warfare, the nature of spiritual warfare. The moment you got saved and you became a follower of Jesus, a Christian, all right, that moment, at that very second, you, you entered a state of war. When you give your life to Christ, you join a war that is already in progress. Now, some of you might say, well, well Pastor, I, you know, I'm not really fighting, and I don't have a beef with anyone, and I don't mess with the devil, and he don't mess with me. Uh, let me. Let me help you. As a United States citizen today, if our president and those in authority declared war on another nation, as a U.S. citizen, it wouldn't matter what your beliefs are, what your philosophy is. If our government decides to go to war with another nation, guess what? As a citizen, you are now a part of the war. And as a citizen in the kingdom of God, there is a war that is taking place between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the moment you get saved, you are now enlisted as a soldier in that war. Anybody believe what I'm talking about? It's, it's not like you decide or choose or I'm not engaged. The moment you get saved, you are now in a war between light and darkness, as a soldier in God's army, you may be asked to lay your life down. I didn't think I would get very many amens right there. Um, maybe, maybe you thought, well, Pastor, no, no, that's way too much for me. I'm just a witness, you know. I'm just a witness. You know, we're witnesses to other people. That's all that we are. The Greek word for witness in the New Testament comes from the same word that we get martyr. We could go to the house right now. And realize we got some things to die to. Some things that we need to die to as a soldier in this kingdom of God. It, it's, it's, we have to be willing to lay our lives down. In the kingdom, there is an element of laying your life down. But before a Christian dies for what he believes, he must first be willing to die to himself to die to the law, to die to ambition, to die to pride, to die to dishonor. How many believe we got to die to some things if we're ever going to pick up the mantle that God has called us to? And so that's what it means to be a soldier. A soldier, listen, they will support, subordinate their own needs for the sake of the higher purpose, which means that when you come into the kingdom, you lay your agenda at the door. Oh, my, I've already hit something. In the spirit, right there. You lay your agenda, your preferences, your opinions, you lay it all at the door, and you place your needs as subordinate to a higher purpose as part of the kingdom of God. I've watched this play out uh, with a lot of people that, that want to do ministry full-time. They want to be a part of ministry. And, and I can always tell how far someone will go in ministry by how much they're willing to lay down. Like if they can't lay down their opinion, their preference, if they can't lay down some of those things, then I know right up front that they will, God will only entrust them with so much. That your level of responsibility is connected to your willingness to lay your life down. See, we, one of the things that we have to understand practically on manifesting the kingdom is that the first thing I want to tell you is we have to exercise Jesus's authority. We have to exercise his authority. Jesus has defeated Satan. We understand that. But he expects his people to enforce what he accomplished, to enforce his victory. 
he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So Jesus defeated the powers of death, hell, and, and, and when he did that, he gained once and for all, all authority over Satan and the kingdom of darkness. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How many of you understand Jesus has all authority? right? He has all authority and he he preferences, he says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. And then he says, therefore, which means with this in mind that I have all authority, I want you to go and make disciples out of all nations. Jesus's authority has a bearing on how we make disciples. It's our decision whether or not we're going to enforce his authority whether we're going to appropriate it in our lives or simply allow the enemy to have control over our lives. Jesus' authority that he won doesn't make a difference in my life until I appropriate it. I have to first appropriate the victory and the authority that Jesus has. And so every week when the enemy shows up at your house, how many know the enemy shows up at your house? If he ain't showing up at your house, it's probably because you're no big deal. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just saying, if you're really advancing the kingdom of God, the enemy shows up. And when the enemy shows up at your house to deliver, I don't know, uh, depression, sickness, hopelessness, despair, addiction, when he shows up at your house, you have a choice to make in the moment, am I going to receive this this, uh, package that he has brought to my house this week, or am I going to appropriate what Jesus did and slam the door in the devil's face and say, no depression can come into this house, no sickness can come into this house, come on somebody, no despair can come into my house, that, that Jesus has purchased my healing, my health, my peace of mind, my joy, come on somebody, my energy, my passion, my ministry, Jesus has already provided it, so I'm not receiving anything that he hasn't given me. But a lot of Christians, they stay at the mercy of the enemy. They don't know how to stop him in his tracks. They don't know how to appropriate what God has done and enforce what God has done. The authority that we assert over the enemy uh, depends not on me. It depends on what Jesus did. The only thing I have to do is appropriate what Jesus did. Even if I pray for a person and a demon comes out of them, how many of you understand that's still not me, it's Christ doing the work. That's, that's why Colossians 1.27 says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So anything that you see in my life that's good, I promise you, it's not Chad Dingus. It's Jesus Christ has, has taken up residence on the inside. I can't take credit for any of it. Why? Because it's Christ in me, which is the hope of glory. When I first got saved, I'll be honest, I was timid, shy. At some level, I'm, I'm still timid and shy in certain settings, but for some reason, when the lights come on and a microphone is in my hand, I become extremely bold. 
and I'll say things that most people wouldn't say in normal conversations um, when, when I'm in this setting because I'm anointed to do it. But when I first got saved, I was timid, I was shy, I was unsure, uh, I was scared to death to, to preach. I, I had all this going on. Listen, I had every legal right to bring king, the kingdom of God into my earth, but I never appropriated it. I never administered it. I simply thought that through osmosis that maybe the devil wouldn't mess with me. But through a little bit of living and understand the way spiritual warfare happens in our lives. How many know this is not an hour for the people of God to be timid, to take a back seat to the devil, come, come on, to throw in the towel, but this is an hour where we gotta rise up in boldness. We can't be silent on every situation and every issue that's going on in our country. It's time to manifest the kingdom of God and realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm not fighting, come on, with F-16s and AK-47s, but I'm fighting with the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of me that we can speak to things in darkness and command light to come into it. Come on, church, if you believe that today, let's give God a shout of praise in this house. There is a battle that is taking place, and a lot of people, they, they, they become passive, and they're not, they're not appropriating the authority of Jesus. The second thing I would give you is asserting authority in the kingdom requires aggression. It's kind of like this. If you were to go home after church and pull into your driveway, you and your wife, and you pull into the driveway, and when you get there, there is um, a U, one of those U-Haul vans in the front of your, your house. And then there's a couple of guys with not like masks, like the pandemic masks, but like the full-on, like, ski mask. And they're bringing furniture out of your house and putting it into the van. Now, how many know at that moment, you could say to your wife or you could say to your husband, um, they don't have a right to do that. Or that's not legal. <laughs> that's not legal. Uh, yeah, you're right, honey. Let's go get something to eat and we'll come back. Because that is illegal. And then when you come back, you realize all the furniture in the house is gone. Now, how many know that ain't the burglar's fault? That is your fault. You could have stopped them. You could have exercised your rights. You could have called the police to come and escort them out of your house. There's a lot of things that you could have done to prevent them from taking everything in your house. As I stand here today to speak to you, there are countless Christians who stand by and they watch the devil come right in front of them and steal their joy, steal their peace, steal their health, steal their marriage, steal their relationships, all because we don't assert the kingdom. We, we don't have enough aggression. Come on, hit somebody or scream at somebody and tell them, you need some aggression. You need some aggression. You say, well, pastor, that just don't sound like Christ-like. That, that don't sound like Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Listen, the kingdom isn't for the lazy boys. 
The kingdom isn't for us sitting in a spiritual recliner with our legs propped up. If you're going to get anything done in the kingdom, you better have some aggression. That There are times it calls for a violence on behalf of the people of God. And again, it's not violence like we whipping up on people or even physically whipping up the devil. But how many know there is a tenacity in the spirit that we're not just praying some Come on, some little tiny, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. But it's like, you can't have my home. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my children. You can't have our city. You can't have our schools. There, there, there comes an anointing and a regret, an aggression on the people of God when they understand what it means to bring the kingdom of heaven into their earth. The violent take it by force. In spiritual warfare, you got to be aggressive. Some of us, we're too cute. We're way too cute. Don't let this lady on the front row fool you. Absolutely beautiful, blonde hair. I am a blessed man. But when she gets violent in the spirit, I get out of the way. Don't don't let all that fool you. Listen, there is a moment, at many moments in your life, that you cannot just be timid, and backward because the enemy will come in and take everything from you. It's Jesus has won the victory, but you have to appropriate it. And we do that through aggression. A lot of people um, that are saved, they go to two extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare. They're either the kind of people that, um, I don't know what it is, but they are super, super spiritual and so they think everything is spiritual. How many know not everything is spiritual? All right? I, I'm, I, there are a lot of things that are, but not everything is. And these are the kind of people that, I mean, they see a demon under every rock. Come on, there's purpose in everything. You know, they've they got a spiritual meaning tied to their oatmeal in the morning. You know, come on, somebody. It's just Fruit Loops. It's just oatmeal. It's not spiritual. Um, but, but you have those people, and then you have people on the other hand, who, you know, they don't think we got to do anything, that there's nothing really that spiritual. And what I would say about that is it's a faulty assumption that people make um, thinking that because the devil has been defeated that there's nothing left to do. That's a faulty assumption. People who live by this rule are fatalistic, assuming that anything that happens must be God's will. Don't be the kind of person that thinks that everything that happens is God's will. There are a lot of things that happened that was not God's will. And, and, but if you're one of the people that thinks it's just done and, you know, everything that ha- it is what it is and, and that kind of thing, you, you'll never uh, tap into what God has for you. Satan has been defeated, but how many of you understand he has not been taken into captivity yet? Like judgment and hell has been reserved for the devil. But he's not there yet. It sounds good to tell the devil to go back to hell where he came from, but Satan is not in hell. The demons are not in hell yet. They are principalities and powers that we are warring against. And so um, with this understanding, um, a, a great way to illustrate that is during the Gulf War, Iraq was soundly defeated. But because their leader, Saddam Hussein, was still at large, they were considered still a threat. Now, how many know the enemy has been defeated through Christ and the cross, but Satan 
is still at large, which means that if we're not um, in tune, that Satan can do some damage to us. we got to be in tune. And so the war is not over, but we have to apply the victory that Jesus has won. Now, some of you think, well, I'm like Rambo, Pastor. I'm like Rambo in the spiritual. Like, I, I, I go to hell with a water gun and put it out. I fight devils every day, you know. I, I'm just Rambo in the spiritual. That's great, but unless you have the right weapons, it's an exercise in futility. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Again, we're not fighting with F-16s or AK-47s. Our weapons are not natural. They're not carnal. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5, Paul continuing, he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now think about this. The focus of our battle centers on imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, with the end result being to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the battle we, we fight in the spiritual is in the realm many times of our thoughts, our ideas, and our imaginations. What thoughts, what ideas, what imaginations are you entertaining that is contributing to the chaos in your life? Here's where Christians will many times show their immaturity because we have thoughts, ideas, and imaginations that are completely out of control. And when those thoughts and ideas and imaginations are out of control, it begins to form strongholds. Strongholds take place in the mind. Some of you today, if you were being really honest, you would have to admit that you are being tormented by what you see in your head, and what you see in your head is not even the way it really is. Oh, can I teach this for a minute? Every believer has been given a job description. Every believer has been given an assignment. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, some translations say, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Most Christians stop right there, for we wrestle not. They say to themselves, I'm not going to wrestle. I ain't wrestling anything. But the fact of the matter is, is that as a believer, if you refuse to wrestle, you're going to get yourself pinned down. I'm not wrestling with flesh and blood. But I am wrestling with spirits, come on, with wickedness, with principalities and powers that, that are in that second heaven realm we talked about many times before. But if, I'm, if I refuse to wrestle, then I have to settle for whatever the enemy is doing. I just have to settle for it. The believer does not wrestle with people. 
We're not fighting people. The battle, sir, is not with your wife. Ma'am, the battle is not with your husband. The battle is not over your child. The battle is not your employer. The person you're fighting is not the coworker. What you have to understand as a believer is that the enemy sends spirits, to, assigns them to us to trip us up and to take us out. And many times, instead of having the discernment to know this is a spiritual issue, we start fighting with our spouse, fighting with our kids, fighting with our coworkers, fighting with the boss man, all because we can't see this is spiritual. Anybody getting anything out of this? It's a spiritual battle. You're not fighting with a person. God is telling us that our battle is against principalities and powers. And he talks about these strongholds. And they're mighty. The weapons of God are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. But the battlefield is in your mind. Everybody just touch your head. That's the battle. I may do a whole series on the mind before this year is over. Because that is where the battle takes place. He said our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Pastor, what are strongholds? Anything that has a strong hold on you. That rejection has a strong hold. That pain sometimes has a strong hold. I'll just keep on preaching until I hit you. That bitterness has a strong hold. That, that addiction has a strong hold over you. And it's anything that has a strong hold on us, but it happens in the mind. Because strongholds are prejudices where we make up our mind before we have the facts. You've heard the statement, don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. Come on, somebody, that's a stronghold. That's also some arrogance on your behalf, all right? It's a stronghold. Matthew 13 and 14, Jesus talking, he says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So Jesus was talking about people who could constantly hear the word of God, but never come to an understanding of the word of God. He's talking about people whose hearts have become hardened and the strongholds have become so strong that even when the word is spoken over them, they can't see it, they can't receive it, they can't perceive it. it, it it's kind of like the person who knows that God is faithful and just to forgive them. But when they mess up, they're unable to receive forgiveness because they feel, I've messed up too bad, I'll never be forgiven. How many know that's a stronghold? A stronghold is when a person who is confronted with having a bad spirit by someone on, uh, that, that is leading their life, when confronted, you got a bad spirit. Instead of saying, you know, you're right, I'm going to repent, they, they think, no, you're not right, I'm going to keep the bad. How many know that's a stronghold? And a lot of people, listen, a lot of people. They do not want to let go of their strongholds because over time, our strongholds become our pets. Our bad spirit becomes our pet. Nobody tells me what to do ever. That's a great spirit. We applaud you. So much like Christ. I can't be corrected. 
I, I can't submit to authority. We've been serving Jesus for 22 years and we still can't submit to authority. We still battle in the same addictions, the same problems. Some of us, we've had the same family problems for 15 years and we never move beyond it because it has become strongholds in the mind that, that not only have a strong hold on us, but now we, how many knows church people are crazy for protecting their dysfunction? I am preaching stuff that ain't even in my notes right now. I hope y'all know that. They, 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 they make dysfunctional behaviors and bad spirits, and then we dress it up with some scriptures thinking we're all right. Oh, my goodness. I'm about ready to come down there and walk. If we didn't have these social distancing guidelines, I'd be walking right in front of you right now. That's where I'm at. Because a lot of us, there are strongholds in the mind that God wants to pull down. And we, we got to be reminded that we have an assignment from God. And if we're going to see people won into the kingdom and set free, then we, we've got to participate and, and in what God is doing. We have to appropriate what God has done. Our responsibility is to break down the strongholds in our own minds so that we can then help others break strongholds in their minds. But here's the problem. We got people that are in bondage trying to set free those that are in bondage. We got the blind trying to lead the blind. Somebody's got to get free if we're going to free everybody else. Come on, church. We got to get ourselves loose if we're going to loose others. We've got to get ourselves loose. This is the nature of spiritual warfare. The only people on earth equipped to intervene in the spiritual realm are those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and those who are knowledgeable in the weapons of our warfare. Christians who do not know how to use their weapons or who, who, who neglect them, they get stuck in the crossfire. They get stuck in the crossfire between good and evil. So if you're one of those people, well, I'm not really fighting, you know, that's just not me, I love everybody, but that's great. We love everybody, but sometimes you got to battle in the spiritual. And so you just, you know, hanging out saying, I'm not engaged. What happens if you don't enter into the battle? Let me ask you something. Where would you rather be? On one side, shooting at the enemy, or just standing in the middle with both sides shooting at you. There's a lot of Christians that, that have taken neutral ground. They've re never really made a decision that I'm going to step fully into the kingdom and engage in that to bring heaven into the earth. And so they get stuck in the crossfires of the enemy and the people of God, and they become casualties of war even though they were never in the war. Come on, hit somebody and say, pick a side. Pick a side. You, you, you got to understand, we are at a, we're in a war. If you are a Christian, you are in a spiritual war. Some of you are like, man, this is way too deep for me. That's why you're struggling. The enemy wants to keep us locked out of this kind of knowledge where, like, listen, men... Rise up in your home. Rise, lead your house. You're, you're called to. You're anointed by God to lead your house, to lead your family. Give your family something to follow. 
Your family will follow if you set the right examples. But if you continue to set the wrong examples, they're not going to follow you. Set the right example. Go first for your family. Jesus spoke very candidly to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. Nobody likes this verse, but I, I need to read it. He says, you, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, God said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We are the most significant people on the face of the earth, but the trouble is, is that we don't really know it and we don't really believe it. And so we sit back and just allow things to be, not understanding that the battle is not political, the battle is spiritual. That the military, that the government, that Washington, D.C. does not have the answers. That the answers are in the kingdom of God. It's almost like all of creation is screaming at the church in this hour to rise up and be who God has called you to be. Come on, to take dominion over sickness, sin, poverty, and disease. Understanding that every place that the soles of your feet touch, God has already given it to you. Your child may be lost right now, but you have the authority to call the prodigal back home. You may be sick in body right now, but by his stripes, I am healed. Come on, church, if you believe the kingdom of God is, is to happen and manifest in this hour, give him the best praise you have all day. I didn't plan on preaching this hard. Man, we got to rise up in the hour. Become who God has called us to be. Not just sit back and allow the enemy to continue to take territory. The Apostle Paul trying to help us with the spiritual battle that we're in. He writes to us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13. He says, therefore... Put on the full armor of God. Everybody say the full armor. The full ar armor here comes from a Greek word where we derive the English word, and, and I, I've never seen this before. The word is panoply, P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. A panoply refers to the complete arms or armor of a warrior. A panoply denotes a single unit of armor. In other words, the warrior doesn't wear only the pieces of the armor that's comfortable or the pieces of the armor that's convenient because without the full armor, the full panoply, the warrior is less effective and susceptible to injury. And so Paul tells us what the panoply is, the full armor is, in verses 14 through 18. He said, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so Paul says, put on the full armor. Everybody say the full armor. Now check this out. I'm going to do this quickly. The first thing he says is he said, I want you to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The first thing the warrior does is he puts on the belt of truth. The belt of truth holds everything together. It keeps the breastplate in position. 
the garment in place. And check this out. The belt of truth even holds the sword, your weapon. Every piece of the armor is defensive in nature except for one, which is the sword. But it is the belt of truth that keeps it all together and even holds your weapon. And so the point being is that if I do not walk in truth, then I don't even have anything to hold a weapon with. I have nothing in place. What, what is God saying with the belt of truth? Until I can admit that I've messed up and, and I can walk in integrity. Listen, if I refuse to walk in truth and I allow sin in my life that God has dealt with me about, then I am no longer ready to, for battle. I don't even have the belt of truth. I'm telling you, if God has dealt with you about some things in your life in this season, now is the time to repent, to turn from it, to say I'm going to get my myself in order, my house in order, because I'm not walking into battle with a lack of integrity. That's the belt of truth. The second thing he says is the breastplate of righteousness. And, the, and this um, covers the heart, the most vital organ. The heart is the seat of our emotions, our feelings, and our passions. It's the re reflection of who we really are. And we all know that if Satan can affect our heart, then he can easily defeat us. Satan accuses us day and night. We get that. But as Christians, you and I, we walk in the righteousness of God in Christ, and it's not based on our good works. It's based on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that's why Satan is always trying to obscure the cross from you and I. If he succeeds at obscuring the cross of Christ, then what happens is, is he's able to remove this breastplate of righteousness. I want you to notice how the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, they actually work together. Without the breastplate of righteousness, we operate in legalism. But without the belt of truth, we operate in carnality and flesh. That they are actually called to work together. The third thing that he said is that your shoes, are the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. The shoes represent peace of mind. Because really at the end of the day, for any warrior going to battle, the one thing that he will have to fight against is fear. And then, and then turn, instead of taking land, we begin to retreat. And so he talks about the preparation. Uh, uh, the, the preparation. And, and what I would say with that is that this is not like a test in school that you can cram for right before it. That's why, notice the word preparation that the battle actually begins before the conflict. You can't cram for this like you do a test. Our preparation begins with you and I standing on the word of God way before conflict arises. Listen, if you wait for conflict to get prepared, how many know you're about to go down? You gotta be prepared before conflict ever hits, standing on the word of God. The fourth piece is the shield of faith. The purpose of the shield is to protect the other parts of the armor and to absorb the fiery darts of the enemy. Our faith in God, that is, that is our response to what Christ has done. So the breastplate of righteousness is what God did. The shield of faith is what I believe about what God did. And so it works together and it extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. The fifth one, and this is the one that really hit me, the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet of salvation protect? It protects my mind. It's my mind. Paul says, take the helmet, which means, check this out, it means take it and put it on. 
In other words, this is a command. Paul said, take the helmet. It literally means take it and put it on. Now, you may say, well, pastor, when I get saved, don't I already have it? No. You got to put it on. A lot of Christians, they put it on on Sunday, but they take it off on Monday. Come on, somebody. Why would Paul tell the Ephesian church to take it and put it on if it was already on? He's telling Christians, put it on. You got to put this thing on. And, and I love it because it's connected to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8. It's connected to the hope of our salvation. Hope protects my mind against discouragement and depression. Hope is in the realm of the mind. And so Paul says, put on the helmet. In other words, let me say it in a way you can get it. Cultivate a positive attitude. Yeah, that's a good place to praise the Lord right there. You got to cultivate a positive attitude. See, as long as I love God and walk according to his purposes, even if all hell breaks loose in my life, I will not become hopeless. I will not become depressed. I'm not going to throw in the towel. Why? Because I believe that even on my worst days, I still got the helmet of salvation, which is hope and a positive attitude that God has taken the good, the bad, and the ugly, causing it all to work together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. Romans 14 and 8. Worship team, y'all better come or I'm going to preach all day. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. I love that because what, what, what he's telling us there in the book of Romans is that every time you put on the helmet of salvation and you act upon the fact that God is orchestrating the events of your life, it's hard to be negative when you know God is in control. And I want to remind some people right now that maybe you've forgotten that God is in control. I just want to remind you today that I don't care how much hell has broken loose in your life, that if you can acknowledge God, he will direct your steps, and God is still in control. Even if all hell has been breaking loose in your life, put on that helmet of salvation. Let hope arise. Let God's enemies be scattered. Come on, stand on the word of God in this season. Bring the kingdom into the earth. Come on, somebody. We got to have a little aggression, a little tenacity. Come on, a little fight in our step today to know that we're engaged in a spiritual battle and it's going to take spiritual people, God, to bring the kingdom into our earth. Come on, church. Give God a praise today. And I feel this thing today. There's a couple more. We may hit them next week, but I got to move on to close this out. Stay on your feet if you're up. I think y'all all up. If you're at home, stand up. I'm serious, stand up. I don't care if you got your PJs or you're just sitting there in your underwear, stand up. Make it a moment. Because here's what hit me this morning early. The nature of spiritual warfare. So many people are walking through life not understanding they're engaged in a, a real spiritual battle which means that they always live in defeat because they don't even know they're in a battle. They don't even know they need to be prepared. Don't even have a clue what's happening spiritually. They only see things through the flesh. But you need to know that you, you got to think bigger than a lot of people when we talk spiritual warfare, they only think in, in terms of demon possession. That's where everybody goes. You know, that, that's the smallest level 
when the demon, when, when, when the devil wants to attack you, he sends not a, a spirit to attack a person. He always will send a spirit to attack a house, a region, a city, a church. He, he always, it's always much bigger than you yourself. And it's important that we understand that when the enemy attacks, he is highly organized in his operation against you. Demons are not disorganized. They are very much organized. They are not chaotic. When they come against you, they come in order. When Jesus was casting the devil out of one person in the Bible, Jesus asked the enemy, said, who are you? And they said, we are legion, which means we are organized. We are regimented, that we march together. See, even Satan marches with demon spirit. He marches in unity. They're not disorganized. They're not doing their own thing. They are very much organized in their attack against you. From Genesis all the way to the, to the book of Revelation, you will never see a demon fighting with another demon. You'll never see it. You never see the devil. When they accused Jesus of casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub, what did he teach? He said, no, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus was saying, Satan ain't fighting against himself. He is highly organized, highly structured. He is regimented. If you've been under attack, I can promise you that the gates of hell organize the attack on your life. They've been strategic in, in every assault against you, spiritually speaking. And But you got to know they are organized, highly functional to come against you. You'll never see a witch fighting with another witch. You'll never see a demon fighting against another demon, a devil against another devil. But when you come to the church, you'll find preachers fighting preachers. Come on, somebody. You'll find church people fighting one another. You'll find church folk fighting against their pastor. Why? Because we don't understand the power of order and unity. Even the devil gets the concept of marching together. I wonder if we need to just get rid of some rebellious spirits in this hour so that the people of God can come together under one umbrella and march at the beat of the same drum and say, devil, you're not coming to take my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, Bethesda Church, if you believe that today. Give him a praise like you've already won the victory. Give him a praise like you've already won. Come on, lift your voice today. It's time that we march at the beat of the same drum. We're not fighting flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. For those of you that didn't think you were engaged in a spiritual battle, you're welcome. <laughs> you're in a battle. Your kids are in a battle. Your marriage is in a battle. Your, your job sometimes is in a battle. So many things are in a battle and we, we attack them from the wrong angles, not understanding that it is spiritual. I pray today that you'll leave in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll find time today to pray for, you, for your house, 
If the enemy has sent something against the person in your house, it's not just to take that person out. The enemy wants to take the whole house out. You got, you got a right to stand in your place of authority and say, Satan, not today. It's not happening. Father, I thank you for your word today. For every person under the sound of my voice, God, that's in this house, those that are watching online, God, I pray that your people would no longer be lulled to sleep in this hour, thinking that this is a battle with flesh and blood, thinking we're fighting with people. But God, we are in a spiritual battle. And God, we the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, God, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. God, help us to lay aside the arm of the flesh and pick up the mantle of the Holy Spirit in this hour. The Word of God that is sharper than a double-edged sword that can pierce the heart. God, I pray that your word pierce the heart today. I pray to God for the people that are in this place that have areas of disobedience in their heart and life. God, that they would acknowledge those areas, repent, turn from them, and God, begin to do what you've called them to do. God, I pray for those that are lost in this place. Help them to see their need for you in this hour. God, that they could acknowledge you, confess you with their mouth, and believe it in their heart that you are Lord that you are Savior. God, we pray as a church family right now, God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. God, in this place, as it is in heaven, we thank you, Jesus, because you are the leader of this army. You are the head. We are the body. We want to get connected to you, Jesus, so that we can walk in the power and in the authority that you have called us to, to exercise dominion in every facet of our lives. We thank you for what you're about to do, God, for what you're going to do in this season. Church, if you believe it, can you give Jesus the biggest clap, the biggest scream, the biggest hallelujah? Come on, if you believe that God is fighting some battles for you right now, Give him the best praise you can, church. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. You can keep up with us at BethesdaChurch.tv, on Instagram, and on Facebook. And remember, you always have a home here at Bethesda.